Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Sun shining on his face. Lots to get through today. We'll talk about <laughs> national championship game uh, with Tim Murray. We'll talk about the Masters with Brad Thomas. Then we'll talk about the NBA's MVP race, uh, which heated up last night. Drew, how are you? How's the weekend? Oh, fantastic. Uh, enjoying a uh, little time in wine country here, heading back today. But uh, uh, fun weekend, fun time of the sports calendar. There feels like there's an awful lot going on right now. Um, still a ton to be decided in the NBA uh, playoff races. And uh, and then, yeah, Masters Week is huge. This is uh, one of the kind of, you know, hallmarks of spring, right? Sitting down and watching Masters all day, Thursday, Friday. I already cannot wait. Uh, got the Masters app installed. Uh, and, yeah, excited to talk about who we think is going to win. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get straight into the game tonight. Let's bring in VEASAN's Tim Murray. Tim, great to see you again, mate. Um, yeah, let's start talking about the game. Uh, are you surprised by the matchup? And what did you make of uh, the final four games? Um, you know, when we had the final four, I would think ultimately not that big of a surprise uh, to have UConn and San Diego State here. Um, you know, I thought FAU and, and San Diego State was was a true coin toss game. I took the points with FAU, and uh, that's why we take the points, boys and girls. <laughs> we don't uh, very, very we don't mess around with the the money line and that uh, get too cute. So I was fortunate there uh, to uh, with the with the Butler uh, game winning shot to not have to sweat that out as he just hit a an easy two and uh, we win that bet. But look, UConn, you know, for, for everybody out there, and look, I've said it myself, this has been a, a wild year. Uh, no true team has emerged or had emerged when you think back to Alabama, uh, then Houston. And, you know, we've had so many different teams, guys, Purdue back in November, but ultimately it's, it's kind of interesting how it's all played out where UConn was a team guys that, the metrics have really loved all year. Uh, they were as high as number one in Ken Palm back in late December, uh, hit a bit of a, a skid there in Big East play, uh, finished fourth in the regular season and losing the Big East semifinals. But, you know, if you are a, a, a believer, a, a proponent of, of these advanced, you know, statistical markets or uh, data, I guess I should say, UConn has emerged as the best team. So we truly do have the best team in the country playing for the national championship as UConn is, you know, top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. You know, the, the outlier here is San Diego State, right? They are trying to buck a trend, which is 
being really, really good at one thing and not so good at the other. And obviously that for them, it's defense. Uh, they are, you know, a top five team in, in defensive efficiency for the entire year. Uh, you go back to late January, they're the best defensive team in the country, but can their offense uh, be enough tonight? So, yeah, I, I think this number has certainly uh, ballooned up a little bit, you know, opened at six at some spots here in Las Vegas. And now we sit here at seven and a half. So is this a, uh, an overreaction a little bit to what we've been seeing? It's very possible uh, to what, you know, UConn is as how UConn has been playing guys. And, you know, before we dive into it a little bit more, I mean, UConn, not only have they been, you know, winning these games going away, they've been making people a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, they are the sixth team since the bracket has expanded 1985 to 64 teams to win their first five games by 10 or more points. They joined the likes of 2000 Michigan State, 2001 Duke, 2009 UNC, 2016 UNC, and 2018 Villanova. And of those five teams that had done it prior, only one of them, UNC in 2016, lost the national championship. All The other four that UConn joins won and won by double figures in the national championship game. Yeah, that's some valuable context. And um, it's really tough not to take the points in this one, I got to tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, the entire college basketball coming into the tournament was like flat earth, right? Everybody has a chance. There's like, you know, you kind of laid it out well. There was no dominant team, even though the metrics would tell you, especially the way they're playing now, Connecticut might be that dominant team. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's been sort of uh, the nature of the tournament to take the points, to take the dog. Um, and seven and a half does feel like it's, uh, you know, reflecting a little bit of recency bias because UConn has been making it look easy. Um, I really don't know that this is a great matchup for them, though. I'll be honest. I think the way that San Diego State Court, you know, runs their defense, uh, it's going to have, you know, this is going to be much more of a test than uh, sort of the, the way they breezed uh, by Miami uh, in the uh, semifinal there. So uh, points or pass, I think, is sort of the read here. Uh, do you have a feeling of uh, if there's any way, other kind of interesting ways to make money on this particular game besides just looking at spread and total? Yeah, and I'll, I'll be, uh, I like to always be uh, up front, right? So uh, where my studio is in Las Vegas is at Circa in downtown Vegas. And uh, they they hung a price that I thought was more than fair on UConn heading into the Final Four. I had no pre-flop futures on the Huskies. And they had a price at minus 115, dipped down to minus 110, actually got down to minus 108 for them to win the championship. They were trying to entice some folks. Uh, they had some liability to Miami. Uh, in the futures market. Uh, I grabbed the, not the best number. I grabbed minus 115. So look, I'm sitting in a decent spot, but you know, to your point, Drew, look, San Diego state, I, I think back to the sweet 16 game against Alabama and everybody, you know, was, was all ready to crown Alabama the champ after their opening weekend where they, you know, beat Corpus Christi with, with ease, even though they didn't cover and uh, they crushed Maryland. <laughs> so, you know, here, this feels a little bit similar and, you know, I, I don't think this is a, a complete apples to apples comparison, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, you know, on Friday night, we all sat back and enjoyed just a phenomenal performance from Iowa's Caitlin Clark. Sure. And they pull off the upset over undefeated South Carolina as double digit underdogs. So then they go into this LSU game and the market goes from two to three and a half. And I'm thinking, look, I, I'm not a, a, a women's basketball handicapper, but you know, the way our mind works is what did we see last? So I was like, I got to take the points of the LSU here. And they, you know, run away and, and win the game 102 to 85. I don't think that's complete, you know, com 
uh, fair comparison, but I do think that the public has seen UConn just be a runaway freight train here covering all these games, and they think, all right, we found it. We found the champ when San Diego State, you know, has had to battle, right? They they win by one at the buzzer against FAU. They get a fortunate foul call at the end of the Creighton game to win that game by one. But this is a team, to your point, Drew, where look at the numbers. Miami stinks defensively. They are north of 100 in defensive efficiency. This San Diego State team can really defend you. And Adama Sanogo, you know, the big man for UConn, has, has been phenomenal in this tournament and uh, is, is probably, if UConn wins the championship, going to be most outstanding player of the Final Four. But what San Diego State actually brings, unlike what Miami brought to the table, even Gonzaga brought to the table, is size. I mean, you look inside, they can throw Nathan Mensah, 6'10". They can throw Ladee, 6'9". Big bodies at him. So, look, overall, UConn has more talent. Uh, they've got a pro in Jordan Hawkins who was, you know, dealing with a stomach bug on Saturday night. He should be 100% to go tonight. So, at the end of the day, I do think UConn is, is the better team. I think they should win. But I can't lay 7.5, even though... In non-conference games, non-Big East opponents this year, San Diego State is 16-0 straight up, 15-1 against the spread. They've won all 16 games against non-Big East foes by double digits. I'm going to go against that train and say I'm going to hope for a middle, uh, but I think San Diego State, to your point, Drew, I think they're a trickier matchup, in my opinion, uh, for this UConn team than certainly what Miami was. Yep, Tim, you mentioned Adam Sonogo in the most outstanding player market. Sonogo is now minus 160 uh, to win that award. Jordan Hawkins, you mentioned as well, he's plus 360. Is there any value on Sonogo betting him at minus 160 as opposed to the UConn money line, or is there enough uh, ambiguity that the safer play would just be the money line if that's the way you lean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point to, to look at it that way. Um, you know, Adama Sanogo certainly has gotten the, the the majority of the talking points, but this is just me personally. I, I don't think – I think there's a little bit too much risk at minus 160 uh, to lay that here for most outstanding player because you got to remember this. It's for the final four. It's not the NCAA tournament. So it, he had a great game against Miami, and Jordan Hawkins, you know, look like he was, you know, seeing ghosts when he was shooting free throws late in the game because of some uh, some bad food he ate earlier in the week. But not to say that he can't go nuts in this game. What if he hits, you know, six, seven threes? And, and then we're talking about Jordan Hawkins. So I personally, I, I don't think there's a ton of value at minus 160 because I, I think there's a chance Sonogo could struggle, uh, you know, getting his points. And, and what's so... Uh, compelling about Adama Sanogo is that he's a you know a player that will dish it out. He'll throw some assists out there. So look, I think he's the rightful favorite. I think he should ultimately win this award. But if you just want UConn to win, look, I'm not out here saying you know lay four dollars. You know you could get creative. You know uh, of how you want to bet this game. But you know for me, I don't know minus one sixty. It just it seems a little bit too much, too rich. If it was minus one ten, minus one twenty, maybe I'd be looking into it. But there's just too much because it's only two games you're determining the MOP here. So for me, I would probably look at some flyers on the other side, you know, whether it be a Hawkins who could just get red hot from three like he did against Gonzaga. Yeah. So for me, I would pass off Sonogo at minus 160. Yeah, I, I mean, I've bet into this, you know, most outstanding player market in years past. 
because it's an awards market and I can't help myself. Um, but uh, this one feels chaotic. Like, I don't know yeah. that the voters know exactly what the rules are supposed to be here in terms of who gets it. Uh, last year, I thought it definitely did not go to the most deserving player. So uh, a little bit of a, just, you know, kind of more of a gamble <laughs> than a handicap if you're playing most outstanding player, just kind of know that. Jay, are you going to get involved? I'm not, no. <laughs> uh, particularly with just the random results that have been thrown up in the past. Um, at least yeah. stuff like, you know, NBA MVP, which we're going to talk about later. There is a rich history and precedent and uh, months and months for it to be discussed and crystallized uh, as the the outcome that makes the most sense with this. It just, yeah, it feels very um, subject to randomness uh, and variance. So, uh, yeah, I don't have uh, any bets in this market at the moment. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know you're busy at the moment. Can you tell people uh, what you're working on and where to follow you? Yeah, of course. Uh, VEASAN primetime will be uh, leading you right up to the national championship tonight. So 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on VEASAN and then the VEASAN College Basketball Betting Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, hopefully we can uh, send us off with one winner uh, and uh, maybe try to thread that needle and get that beautiful middle that we all aspire to grab. So uh, I'll take a little San Diego State off of the top of, uh, of that UConn future and hopefully we can get UConn by 1 to 7 here on Monday night. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Tim. And uh, you yeah, fingers crossed, UConn one to seven. All right. Before we bring in Brad Thomas, a reminder, Drew, to download the Roto World app to receive breaking oh, yeah. player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available yep. in the App Store today. All right. Let's bring in at Mr. Brad Thomas. Talk about some golf ball, the Masters. Brad, uh, I know you're excited for it. I know we're all excited for it. I guess just big picture, um, how is handicapping the Masters different from other tournaments uh, and why is the history at Augusta so important? Yeah, so you think, first of all, happy Masters week. I'm so excited this week's here. It's absolutely my favorite week the of the entire golf season, probably everyone's too. But we have to think about what Brooks Kepka said. I think he says about two or three years ago. Why does he win so many majors, right? Because you can eliminate basically half the field. Uh, first-time winners don't really play well here. It's I mean, first-time winners don't really happen. It's a difficult course. The undulation is different than anything you'll ever see. You could literally stand one part of the golf course, and your ball could just roll down if you drop it out of your pocket. It's also so much pressure, especially being the first one of the season. Like, guys want to win majors. Guys who think about the, wanting to be professional golfers, they don't say, I want to win the, the Heritage. They say, I want to win the Masters. And so it's just so much pressure that they put on themselves. History here is so important. The last 10 winners of this tournament have at least one top 40 under their belt before they win their first Masters. It's just really, really difficult to come out here. All the pressure, all the patrons, the change of undulation. You could practice at this course every single day for a month, but you can never, ever simulate that actual tournament feel with all those guys who are going to be standing there watching you hit balls at the Masters. Yeah, you're bringing up a lot of uh, interesting ways we could take this conversation. But uh, <laughs> the uh, you know the the buzz of players who have been practicing every day for a month has been that Rory McIlroy has been destroying this oh, course. Yeah. Um, the pressure is going to be real though, because this is, of course, would be the career slam for him if he could uh, take home a green jacket. Um, is does your kind of list of contenders start with Rory McIlroy, or do you think uh, Scotty or Ram ought to be at the top of the board here? 
I do think Scotty should be on the top of the board, but we have only had what three back-to-back winners of the masters and they are all three hall of famers, Tiger Woods, uh, Jack Nicholas and Nick Faldo. So the feat that, that he would have to create would be absolutely historic. Do I think he can? Absolutely. If you look at a list of all the golfers strokes gained coming into this event, that's on the season. Scotty Scheffler is by far the highest per round. So he's absolutely at my top of my list. Rory could do it, right? I think, a lot of times we talk about Roy McIlroy, we set the expectations so high. Like he could go and roll out like three straight top fives and everyone's disappointed and saying Roy didn't play great. Like even at Bay Hill, like I had a ticket on him because I thought his price was just outrageous. And um, a couple bad decisions uh, away from winning uh, the API. And everyone's like, wow, Roy might not ever win again. And he literally just had a win. But I, I'm not going to bet him at that price. Absolutely not. I'm not going to bet. I have Scotty Scheffler at 16. Uh, oh, so that's, that price is no longer <laughs> available. That's been long gone. I'm not betting Rom, Scotty, or Rory. Uh, these prices are just ridiculous. You're thinking about laying <laughs> seven to one to win the Masters. Like, when's the last time a guy went off that short and won the Masters? Uh, what, Tiger Woods 10 years ago? Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, quick uh, Rory story. Um... Uh, the only, uh, you know, they, they had featured groups back in the day. Wasn't really familiar with Rory's game at all, um, but he was in one of the featured groups and uh, you're watching his swing and it's just so freaking pure. And you're like, oh my gosh, this guy is going to be around forever. He might win this tournament. And that was the year that he comes into the back nine with the lead on Sunday and uh, somehow found it, you know, hit into a house off of 10, which I didn't even know existed on the course. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just all completely fell apart from there. So um, I'm very much, uh, you know, emotionally tied to Rory finally getting over the hump here. And, uh, it's kind of the only horse I could really back in this one, but you're right. Seven to one, not, not really a super appealing price. Um, who, uh, who's your horse, uh, at the top, Jay? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can really get involved with any of those three guys. And I understand that Scheffler, McElroy and Rahm have, you know, they've separated themselves as the clear tier one, particularly with, you know, Justin Thomas was being priced similar to those guys towards the end of last season, and that's fallen off. So, yeah, in this field, I can't get around anyone uh, at shorter than 10 to 1. I think Brad, is there a long shot um, and someone outside of that group that, that you think is value at the current prices? Yeah, so I'll give a, a long shot. Uh, and this price has absolutely plummeted. I think the price plummeted because of Brooks Kepka's success uh, and Live Orlando, but uh, Joaquin Neiman. He's at uh, uh, plus 5,500. I got him at 90, but I still think he's playable in that range because you want to think about the skill set that you need to compete at the Masters. You want to be a good ball striker. You want to be good around the greens. You want to be good off the tee, especially with the changes to the course. This year, it'll be even more important. Like there's some tee shots that have the smallest, smallest windows to hit through. Uh, Neiman, he has a, a T35 and a T40 in his last two trips here. I think that his price is great. He, he, he also said something in an interview that I thought was pretty compelling, right? It's all about how these live guys are going to handle the adversity, you know, because the PGA Tour guys, most of them don't like them, but he actually is embracing it. He says it's going to be fun knowing that a lot of the guys there are going to hate him. So if he's okay with playing the, that villain role, I think he'll have a lot of success. Yeah. And uh, Brad, you mentioned uh, another long shot before, Mr. Tiger Woods, uh, who we must talk about. He is 66 to 1 <laughs> to win the Masters. Any interest at that price, Brad? And uh, what are you expecting uh, from El Tigre this weekend? 
uh, you could set your money on fire if you're playing Tiger Woods at 66 to one, <laughs> maybe a hundred to one. I would probably put five bucks on it just to say I did it, but I don't know, man. I feel like every time I count him out, he just does the inevitable and does something great. Like him finishing, what was it? T 45 at Genesis. I thought he was going to go out there and stink it up. He might not even finish the course. That's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, one of those, it was round two. He had a 67. I was like, Oh my God, guys, Tiger is so <laughs> back. But Augusta is not the kind of course where I think Tiger Woods is going to be able to sustain long-term with the walking, the change of elevation. So if Tiger Woods comes out here and he finishes T40 or better, I think that's a win. Uh, but I mean, when he won in what, 2017, <laughs> it was one of the greatest comebacks ever. Uh, I was literally at a bar crying watching it. So yeah. I can't ever count him out, but no way I'm placing money on him. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the right play. Uh, betting the no on Tiger to win the Masters, which I know has been a popular <laughs> thing that's been uh, passed around Twitter, uh, is probably a pretty decent bet. Um, Brad, getting away from the outright, talking about other dem- uh, markets, derivatives, head-to-heads, anything that you've got your eye on uh, for the Masters. Yeah, uh, head-to-heads. Are, I don't normally do tournament head-to-heads that often, but the Masters is one of those tournaments where head-to-heads uh, are going to be so spicy. Like I said earlier, you can eliminate half the guys from even being in contention. So I think if you find good prices, there's going to be a lot of a lot of guys who are going to be floating around like to win their matchup, maybe plus 110 against guys who just have terrible, terrible Masters history. Yeah, I'm going to side with history here and I'm going to fade all those guys. It's probably the easiest market in this. And I, well, I, nothing's easy in betting. But I say when you think about the derivative markets for placement bets, it gets a little bit more challenging because all it takes is one bad shot your nerves are shot here and then you can just fall down the the leaderboard yep no i agree there and and also just like a little inside baseball but you know having worked at uh sportsbook points bet for five years i can tell you that head-to-head markets are definitely the most vulnerable uh yeah yeah. Uh, and those ones if you can break even on them honestly as a bookmaker you're you're doing pretty well (laughs) Yeah. Um, because those are very susceptible. All right. Well, yeah. Aside from cheering for Rory, uh, I'm still on team fade uh, Tyrrell Hatton. Uh, oh, between man. the injuries and the way that, you know, <laughs> the, the confidence he's playing with right now at this particular course where he has struggled mightily, uh, I think is uh, not a great recipe for him to have a successful week. So that's probably going to make or break my masters as if Tyrrell Hatton's playing on the weekend. That's a shame. I know Tyrrell listens to the podcast. Yeah, he's probably really upset now. <laughs> Sorry about that, Tyrrell. Uh, okay, Brad, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell people uh, what you got planned for the rest of the week for Masters content? Yeah, so we will have a course preview out later today. Um, and I'll have a bunch of articles out, guys. Like I'm talking placement, uh, head-to-heads. This is a big week, and I'll have some TikToks available too. All that will be on uh the NBC Sports pages, and my Twitter page at Mr. Brad Thomas. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for having me. Before we get into NBA MVP and DPOY, every season is draft season. Drew Dinsick, get your Roto-World Draft Guide bundle today and dominate your football, baseball, and basketball drafts packed with profiles, rankings, projections. Order today and get all three Roto-World Draft Guides for the price of two. Plus use promo code BERRY. B-E-R-R-Y. I guess that's related to my friend, Matthew Berry. Unfortunately, yeah. you get a new promo code, get rid of him and save an extra <laughs> 20% at checkout. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. It's time to get your swagger back with PointsBet Sportsbook. New customers can sign up now with the code BETTHEEDGE to get five second chance bets up to $500. That's five straight days of second chances where PointsBet will match your losing wager in free bets. So use the promo code BETTHEEDGE and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before. PointsBet, it's your move. New customers only. Must be 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, or West Virginia. In partnership with Louisiana iGaming LP, DBA Boomtown, New Orleans. Second chance means that if any of your first five cash bets, that is the first bet per day for five consecutive days on a fixed odds market loses, you will receive free bets in the amount of the losing wager up to $100 each. Cash out is not available on all wagers and may not be equivalent to the initial wager. PointsBet can disable or suspend the cash out feature at any time. Additional terms and conditions apply. See the promotions page and terms and conditions section of the PointsBet website app for more details. Void where prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Colorado or Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. In Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK. That's 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Pennsylvania, call 1-877-770-STOP. That's 1-877-770-6867 in Louisiana. All right, uh, let's talk about MVP wearing a V-neck T-shirt today, Drew, for the first time in years because I'm so rattled by this MVP market <laughs> um, last night. I feel like there would have been uh, clarity had MB beaten Giannis, uh, sure. five-and-a-half-point dog in Milwaukee. Instead, he didn't. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure if we were talking about it or just talking about it with someone else, but I basically put a line through Giannis after he lost by 41 points at home to Boston on national TV with the caveat that the only way he'd get back in the race was if he embarrassed Joel Embiid on Sunday night. And he kind of embarrassed Joel Embiid a little bit. I mean, the box score doesn't look uh, certainly as visceral as Embiid uh, destroying Jokic back in January. But at the same time, like Giannis 
devoured that game and was clearly the best player on the floor. Embiid was 11 of 25, heavy minus Giannis. 33, 14, and 6, three blocks, 13 of 17 from the floor. And now all of a sudden, um, we're back into chaos mode where I really don't know what to do with this market. Uh, I have some leanings, but what do you think? I think the top of the board is insane. No way Embiid should be minus 210. Um, I... I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of in shock that the market doesn't see Jokic as the favorite currently. Um, I think Giannis is still live. I think ultimately this is going to finish very, very tight race. Jokic is going to win small margin over Giannis second. And I think Embiid finishes third uh, when the votes are all cast. And that is because the Sixers are losing basketball games and they're losing them not competitively. You said it. You didn't get embarrassed by Giannis last night, but the Sixers were not were not ever in that game. Uh, you know, it just was. It was. Uh, it, it's. It, they have. It's been. At le- it's been at least a month since you really remember the Sixers playing good basketball, and that's because their schedule has been compressed here at the end. Really tough opponents. Really bad travel spots. Just basically scheduled losses. So, um, Embiid, you know, running out of steam with the uh, Sixers. You know, stuck in third, maybe falling to fourth. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jokic can sit out these games, get right for the regular season and still probably get the vote, you know, you know, get the, uh, the lion's share of the votes here. Um, but yeah, Giannis is not dead. Uh, I think this should be, I think realistically the market should reflect something like 40%, uh, Jokic, 30%, Giannis, 30% Embiid. Uh, and yet here you can still get Jokic today at two to one feels like a bet to me. Yes. I think, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Embiid was, similar price to what he is now, actually. And we thought that the price was laughable because because of the schedule. Uh, yeah. And the schedule has devoured Embiid, as expected. The Sixers yeah. have lost five out of eight. Embiid, yeah. it's been five games since Embiid got to 30. He doesn't, like, he looks okay out there, but he's just not being as dominant as he was two, three weeks ago. So I would assume that there's something going on with the calf. So, yeah, I, I think this is a ludicrously priced market. On Friday, Embiid was minus 105 and Jokic was plus 110. All that's happened since then is Jokic sat out a couple of games, which are meaningless for Denver because they've got the one seed on lock. Embiid had a subpar game and beat Toronto and then got destroyed by Giannis. So how does Embiid go from minus 105 to minus 210 off of that? I mean, that's just a ludicrous movement. So yeah, I think it's... I think it's very close between Jokic and Embiid, and I think that Giannis is still live. Uh, I'm not sure that he should be the favorite or anything, but the way I would think about this is, and the way I would handicap this market, is just do it all off of the kind of the tree that comes out of Embiid playing Boston on Tuesday night, because that is suddenly, I think, a massive game for this market and probably the highest leverage game in the MVP market left, given there are no more head-to-head matchups. Uh-huh. And it's not so much that, you know, it's it's Philly, Boston, there's not really that much at stake for Philly. They're locked into the three seed. But it's more that if you're an Embiid voter, like how do you vote for Embiid if he's lost six out of nine, the three biggest games of his season down the stretch, he ducks Jokic, he gets destroyed by Giannis, and then he loses at home to Boston if that happens. I just don't know what you hang your hat on as an Embiid voter if he loses that game. Uh, and at which point, I don't think he can be anywhere close to the favorite. And that game is basically pick at the moment in the market. Uh, so off of that, if Embiid is going to lose voters, then you have to kind of map out where do those voters go? 
Do they go to Jokic, who I'm not sure he's going to play again in the regular season, though he's still going to have uh, the most games played of any of these guys, assuming Embiid sits at least one down the stretch, which I suspect he will. Uh, or do they go to Giannis, who still has this thing to fall back on of being the best player in the world. There is consensus around that. And he has the best record in the league. And now he's yeah. like minus 1,200 to get the best record um, after that win last night. So yeah. I think it's all of a mess. Uh, I think that I think Jokic is the best bet in the market right now, which is weird because yeah. he hasn't played the past three games and may not play again. <laughs> but I think that I think that with the straw poll that Bontemps released um, last week, where Jokic had 42 first place votes. I think that Jokic, Jokic voters are the stickiest in that yes. if you have made up your mind that you're voting for Nikola Jokic, you're the least likely to be swayed to Embiid or Giannis because Jokic has the best objective case. Jokic yeah. should win MVP. He's got the best case. And the only reason not to vote for him is it's Embiid's turn or Giannis is the best player with the best record, both of which I think are fairly uh, lacking in nuance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, look into the numbers and everything and if Jokic hadn't won the past two years, then he would be minus 2,000 to win this year. He's got the best case. He destroys yeah. everyone in every advanced stat. Uh, he's averaging close to a triple-double on a one seed. So I think that Jokic voters are the most likely to stay with him. Yes. And just given that, I think that Embiid and Giannis voters are more likely to be swayed by recency and momentum. And right now... Embiid, if he loses to Boston, he cannot finish with any momentum. And I think enough voters will abandon him then for Giannis and Jokic that Jokic will probably win. Do you think that's fair? Yes, I do. I think Jokic will ultimately win the sword. Uh, yep. And all of your points are correct, as far as I can tell you. I don't have I don't there's I don't see any holes in your case there. Um I can only add that you watch a little bit of that uh, Phoenix uh, Denver tape without Jokic on the court. <laughs> That didn't hurt Jokic. <laughs> that helped him because you're like, wow, he's gotten to the one seed in the West playing with those guys. Um, but, you know, in, in seriousness, the um, uh, there was a little bit of a historical, you know, um, we don't want to give Jokic a third MVP, conditional on the fact that he hasn't succeeded much in, in the playoffs, right? But I think the way people feel about Denver now, you can put a little bit of that to bed because it feels like Denver is going to make a run this year. Like the team is playing really well. And uh, I think ultimately, um, you know, people probably end up voting Jokic, assume that he's going to do something in the playoffs this year. Uh, and then they're less worried about whatever the historical context is of giving somebody three MVPs. So um, it was always a flimsy reason to penalize him uh, you know, when it was kicked around and when you, you know, he became the favorite in this market, but um, you know, with the, how badly the Sixers are leaking oil down the stretch here. Um, I just don't think there's any way, shape or form. He could be fair price in the minus 200 range. Yeah. Agreed. And the thing with Jokic as well is think back to when start of the month, they beat Memphis, I think on national television at that point, they're 45 and 19. They win a couple of nights later against Toronto, go to 46 and 19. And at that point, Jokic is like minus 400 in the market. Um, and the award seems done. And I'm just not sure that that much has changed since then in terms of the cases and the merit of all three of these guys. It's just being Embiid went on a tear and now he's slumping. Uh, Giannis kept winning games, then he got blown out by Boston, then he beat Embiid. And I still think Jokic just has the best case. And I think that if Embiid stumbles, it's most likely that people will default back to Jokic. 
The one thing is Giannis is the most difficult guy to price in this market because I just yeah. don't know if he's coming from too far back or not. It feels like he is, but at the same time, it's difficult to map that out. And Giannis at the moment, like, here's the path for Giannis. If Embiid loses to Boston, Giannis beats the zombie Wizards who right now are running their entire offense through Corey Kispert, who, to be fair, looked like... Big. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. um, so if we assume the, the Bucks win as 12-point favorites in Washington on Tuesday and the Celtics beat Philly that night on national yeah. TV, and then the next night Giannis is on national TV home to the Bulls in a game that will be relevant because the Bucks are fighting for the one seed and the best record, Giannis wins that game as well. He's then what, six and a half games up on Embiid um, on a three-game tear with two two of those wins against the Bulls on national TV and then destroying Embiid. And if Jokic is sitting games, then I think there is enough kindling uh, for the Giannis MVP fire to be lit. I just don't know how to price that, to be honest. Like, I, I could say a number, but I, I really don't know how to price that. I think there's too much uncertainty. There is still some Giannis 8-1 to one out there. I think that is a bet. Uh, yeah. And I think Jokic is a bet at two to one. Uh, and you just have to fade Embiid um, yeah. at this point. All right. Defensive player of the year, which seems to have crystallized as a two uh, horse race with Jaron Jackson and Brooke Lopez. This market has kind of flipped around the past week uh, as more voter sentiment has come out. Jaron is minus 140, Brooke is plus 100. Yeah. And I think this is a pretty simple race in that Jaron is clearly the deserving winner on a permanent basis, but he's played like 600 less minutes than Brook Lopez and significantly fewer games. Uh, and how much a voter is going to punish Jaron for the minutes differential and his fouling issue. Again, he was in foul trouble yesterday. The game before that, he fouled out. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a question of how much you're going to punish him for that. And my gut sense is that a lot of voters will punish him, but not enough for him to lose the award. So I agree that Jaron should be the favorite right now. Um, minus 140, I don't think there's a ton of meat on the bone, but I would not be betting Brooke at even money. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's that that reads true to me as well. Um, it does feel like the JJJ steam is real. Uh, you can track it to actual statements and articles and... Um, there, it's going to be a fractured market though. You've heard people like Zach Lowe make cases for Evan Mobley and Bam Adebayo. Uh, you know, so there'll be some, there'll be some, um, um, some fringe random voters, uh, you know, you know, vote, vote getters here that could uh, make it a little bit more complicated, but I agree with you. This market minus 140 looks fair to me. And, uh, if anything, I would expect that to go up. Yes, I agree. If I had to make a bet on anyone in the market right now, it would be Jaron uh, at minus 140. I don't feel amazing about that, but I do think um, that is, that's, that's a better bet than, uh, than anyone else. And I think probably, um, to your point, there's, there's more scope for that to go um, closer to minus 200 than there is for it to bounce back. Yeah, the other funny thing that you're in trouble with if you're holding the Lopez ticket, and really, I guess that's who we should be talking to. If you're, hold, if you're a Lopez stakeholder out there, you should probably be paying... Play, yeah, you should be playing some defense <laughs> because there's a lot of sentiment that Brooke Lopez might be the third most important defender on his own team, yes. right? There's people who are, are you know out there beating the drum for Drew Holiday. Giannis is obviously a singular defensive uh, you know force to be had, and so people you know people aren't going to give a guy a defensive player of the year if they think uh, this guy might be the third best defensive player on the Bucks. Yeah. Agreed on that front. And I don't think that's fair. Like, Brooke Lopez is a lot more important yeah. to that 
defense than Drew Holiday. Like, I'm sorry, that's just how it is. When you're a rim protector in the regular season, um, the Bucks with Lopez on the court and Giannis and Drew off, they have the best defense in the league. That's how important rim protection is, particularly in the regular season. But it doesn't really matter because enough voters are going to think that he's maybe the third best defensive player on the team, rightly or wrongly. I would say wrongly. Um, about him. So, yeah, I think that Brooke is, particularly as well, like, they got destroyed by the Nuggets. They got destroyed by the Celtics. Even the Pacers scored 136. Like, it's been a very bad week and a bit yeah. for Brook Lopez's uh, his Defensive Player of the Year campaign. So, uh, yeah, I think Jaron is the bet uh, at the moment. Uh, all right. Well, Kurt Heelan is going to join us on Friday Ooh. to talk about all these awards. He's a voter, so I'll be very interested for his insight. Uh, we'll be back before then, though. But in the meantime, don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. And please rate and subscribe to us if you're listening to us in podcast form. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll be back tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down.